But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word to your people, and I do pray that you would work in me, uh, moving my lips and my mind to convey your truth, that we would be comforted and edified, uh, built up in the holy faith, uh, that we would walk according to your statutes, uh, showing love for each other as evidence of our love for you. Please uh, open our ears to hear this and uh, be edified, uh, that we would be edified through you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, please be seated. First, I want to ask how many of you are feeling like you're just on top of the world? Everything is going kind of as good as you can imagine. Any, any hands? All right. Everybody's pretty honest. Well, good. Okay. So I'm very positive. Um, on the other hand, how many of you are, are facing some challenges? Uh, perhaps it's a difficult work situation. I don't know, underemployed, unemployed. A boss isn't as helpful as you'd like them to be, perhaps for the young people, some uh, squabbling siblings, any hands there? A few more. Yeah, to be honest, um, and I don't think it's necessarily an unho- unholy pessimism uh, to think that you know, things aren't how I'd like them to be. I'd like there to be more peace in my family. I'd, I'd like there to be more uh, recognition of my efforts in uh, my work environment, and those are good things, um, not bad to desire. Um, so hence, I see we're all in need of some encouragement. As I mentioned at Presbytery this last week, it's a little intimidating to come before these men who you know, I respect greatly. Uh, they have studied hard. They are in the trenches in the work of the ministry, as it were. Uh, there's some differences on theological particulars, and, um, but that's not a barrier to fellowship. But nonetheless, I needed some encouragement. And after I gave the sermon on uh, Wednesday morning as part of the licensure procedure, I, to be honest with you, was really surprised pleasantly that I'd say half a dozen of the men came up to me and gave some positive and some negative feedback. I thought they'd just, you know, keep it all silent with those stern faces of theirs as they stared at me. And then I'd hear the evaluation later, you know, how that can be. Uh, but no, they came up and they said, Michael, that was good work. I appreciate this and you could improve in this. And I was encouraged by the actual material details of what they said, as well as by the mere fact that they took the time and the energy and the effort to say something. It could have been easy for them just to make the mental notes or write on the piece of paper and store it till later, but that they cared enough uh, to take the time. They could have been down at the break room enjoying coffee and the friends they've known for a decade, but instead they cared enough uh, to say a few words to me, uh, even of critique, gladly received. Uh, So as we look here at this passage, Paul speaking to his beloved congregation in Thessalonica, uh, we see him at at the very end, if you caught there, the word comfort is also the word encourage, and we'll be getting to those particulars. But he took the time uh, to encourage them, and he's encouraging them to encourage each other. And I think that's encouragement that we all need as we face these challenges living in this day. Uh, Of course, the context of this passage here, it's referred to, as I read, the day, uh, the uh, capital D day as it's listed in 
um, the New King James at least, uh, referring to the day of the Lord. And we could be thankful that we're not facing such dire circumstances as they were with the impending judgment uh, on Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, a complete raising of everything that Jewish culture had taken for granted. And so uh, we are not facing that drastic of uh, circumstances. But yet there are challenges, uh, potential meltdown of our economy as it strayed far from uh, godly principles. Uh, you know, our government uh, in a sham as it's uh, printing money and uh, you know, invoking ungodly laws of family and all this stuff. Uh, there may well be troublesome times ahead for us. Uh, we can be comforted, encouraged, that it's not as bad as they were facing in the years to come. But nonetheless, uh, the easy days that we all uh, idealize of the past may not be in our future. And so we can uh, take comfort in the same words that Paul offers here uh, to his friends in Thessalonica. And I do hope that by the end, and looking at this and meditating on it in the days and weeks to come, uh, that we can be both encouraged and be encouragers of those around us. So let's look into the passage then, reading the first two verses. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor darkness. So in these two verses of our passage, Paul is drawing, as I see, I hope you see, a very clear distinction between his audience, the brethren, the brothers, and the others out there. And this is an absolutely fundamental difference, of course. The difference is the difference between darkness and light, your left hand, your right hand. It's pretty easy to tell. Uh, as sons of light and sons of the day, as he words it, they are night of, not of the night or of the darkness. Uh, they are children of God, sons of God. And uh, we need to recognize that this wasn't always the case. When we're honest with ourselves, um, adults who came to the faith in adulthood, you know, we can look back to the days when we weren't children of light. We were not walking according to God's precepts. We were rebels, and we were in that other group. We were children of the night. We were you know, slinking around doing things uh, against his uh, revealed will. Um, but by God's grace, we've been transformed uh, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Uh, quoting from Ephesians 8, uh, Paul makes a very similar comment. He says, in chapter 5, if you want to look it up later, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So that transformation, we've been moved from one category uh, to the other. And those of you children who come to the faith younger or just you know, never knew a time, what a blessed thing to never know a time when you weren't a child of light. Um, still, to recognize that your, your nature, um, apart from God's grace, is dark, very dark. And when we're honest with ourselves and search our hearts, we see remnants of that. Uh, we want what we want. We want the freedom and the independence, be it from parents or the boss or uh, the government. Uh, we are all fighting hard, tooth and nail, after our independence. Uh, but graciously, when God brings us to submission, uh, we can rejoice uh, being his sons and daughters. But picking out some points here, because I think this uh, parallel passage in Ephesians is very helpful. Uh, for once you were darkness, but now you are light uh, in the Lord. Um, the first obvious thing is in the past we were darkness, but now we're light. The second thing, that we're not light in and of ourselves. All of a sudden we're some special creature, but we're light in the Lord. In the past, I know I've commented on it here from this pulpit and Pastor Kaiser as well, that pivotal issue of being in the Lord. Uh, it's being in Christ, our union with Christ, whereby we are in this special category. We must realize and not confuse uh, justification 
which is a declarative work. It's how God sees us in sanctification. In sanctification, we become holy, uh, but in justification and adoption, we are seen as holy in adoption. We're coming into his family. So this being in the Lord is not that, you know, over time I did really good things and I've become holy. Uh, that is our calling to, in sanctification to be more God-like. But being in the Lord is a declarative act. Nothing we had anything to do with. Uh, purely by God's grace and mercy are we declared righteous in his sight, but for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, received by faith alone. So that key point, that we can't take pride in uh, now being children of light because it was given to us as a gift. And who takes pride in the gift? Oh, I'm so great, <laughs> I got the gift. No, it's God's mercy. Uh, second, we're not to take it for granted or presume upon his grace because that's the nature of a gift. He gave it to us. It's not because of who we are per se. Um, and third, that it's because of being in Christ, our union with Christ, something we don't want to be lazy about or take for granted. Um, and fourth, that as being uh, children of light, we act in a new, different way. Uh, in the Ephesians passage, Paul says, you're light in the Lord. It doesn't say therefore, but it says, now walk as children of light. So there's an action that accompanies this new, very privileged and glorious standing. We're children, so now do something with that. Walk as children of light. Um, Paul, or let me continue first in the Ephesians passage. He, in the Ephesians chapter 5, Paul follows this with a list of things to do. Uh, reading verses 9 through 11, he says, The Spirit of, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So those are the things uh, that he's asking the Ephesians to do. Because you are a child of God, now walk in the Lord. Uh, doing that means forsaking the works of darkness, embracing uh, goodness, righteousness, and truth, not having fellowship with the works of darkness. So those are the things he's telling them to do as a result of this privileged standing. And Paul makes a very similar point uh, in verses 6 and 7 of his letter here to the Ephesians. Reading that, he says, Therefore, let us not sleep. So pick up on that word, therefore. Therefore, because you have been transformed in this way. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, now these are the things he's starting to tell them to do, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So continuing this metaphor of dark and night, light and day, uh, challenging us to be alert, uh, not unaware. Uh, the alertness he describes here as uh, being awake or being sober is contrasted with being sleep, sleeping or drunk. Uh, at the time these last few days, hanging, hanging out at the Colin household, and Tom, of course, was talking about multiple times as he's driving home from his late night job, the police pull him over. And it's not because he's swerving or such a bad driver, but it's because they're thinking, oh, anybody out at this time must be drinking. <laughs> Why else would somebody be out? And that's really the observation Paul's making here. Those people of darkness, they're sinners, obviously, you know, Sinners do things at that time, just like the police are assuming any guy out here driving at this time of night must be up to no good. So they pull him over, and he can do his alphabet and walk in a straight line, hasn't had any trouble. Um, so they're making, the police are making a false assumption. Uh, Paul, using the same criteria, of course, makes a correct assumption. Those who are up to no good are sinners, uh, no doubt about that. Um, but uh, one thing to clarify that word sober, <clears throat> he's not so much speaking of you know, alcohol drinkers to excess, but the issue of watchfulness. 
And the word sober used throughout scripture as a a figure for uh, deadening the senses. You know, a person who is drunk is just kind of numb. The reactions aren't as fast. Of course, that's the problem with driving. Um, But they're not attentive. They're not active. They're not paying attention. And that's what Paul is saying here in terms of be sober, be watchful, be alert, uh, be attentive to what's going around you. Uh, So it's not the ability to recite the alphabet backwards uh, or to move your pointy finger to your nose real quick, but rather the ability to watch and to keep an eye out for the signs of the times and the needs of your brethren. That's what Paul's asking people to do. So he says, Let us who are of the day be sober, uh, watchful, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Um, So note the command for the present, now be sober. It's something we need to do now. Uh, Whereas the basis for the action is in the past. And other translations have it, instead of the New King James, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. They say, having put on the breastplate of love, etc. Those fruits of the Spirit. Um, It has to do with the tense of the verb there. So it's something that's accomplished and then has effects. So uh, you don't repeatedly put on the breastplate and the helmet. It's something that's definitively happened, and then there's results that come from that. So as children of the light, we have already been transformed from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and uh, we need to live in light of that. In the past, we put on this breastplate and this helmet, and we need to live in light of that. These armaments are ours, and we're just walking around with this armor, twiddling our thumbs if we're not, you know, we'd, we'd fail to look in the mirror and realize, oh yeah, you know, My hair has gone gray. I I didn't realize that. Um, But we need to realize we have the helmet on our head. We have uh, the breastplate on our chest and to do something with that. And that's part of being watchful. Are you paying attention? You know, did you realize that you have these gifts from God? Well, let's go forth and do something with that. Uh, Be called to be sober. Well, it's in the next two verses. um, I see Paul taking a step back really to a foundational principle that leads to this. Uh, having the breastplate, having the helmet, being watchful about those things. Uh, It's in verses 9 and 10 that he brings in really the most precious, the foundational truth that undergirds this all, he says. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Is that a precious truth? Are we pondering that? Are we being attentive to that in our daily lives? I hope so. Um, The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, What must we do to escape the wrath and curse due to us for sin? Uh, Do we ponder that? Uh, Do we recognize that we are deserving of wrath and curse due to us for sin? Um, That's a weighty thing to ponder, something we should reflect on. It makes us all the more appreciative for the gifts of grace that we have, Lord willing, received. Uh, Because by virtue of our uh, uh, descending from Adam, that original sin nature coming to us, by virtue of our actual sins, the things we do every day that we're real prone to looking over, making excuses about, uh, pretending didn't happen, uh, we are justly deserving God's wrath and curse for those sins. But the Catechism does answer, summarizing for Scripture, how it is that we avoid this penalty. And it says that we must have faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with uh, due diligence in the outward means of grace, whereby the benefits of redemption are made effectual to us. Um, isn't a time to exposit the Shorter Catechism, but it is that faith in Christ uh, that is speaking uh, 
spoken of by Paul here. He says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but, so instead of the wrath and curse due to us for sin, instead of that, that he has obtained us to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Amen. That is something we can delight in and should delight in daily. So Paul says it here, we obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. We most certainly deserved the wrath and curse due to us for sin, but Jesus took it for us. We deserved the death. Jesus died for us. And importantly, he died for us, not that we would relax and kick back, be happy with the free ticket to heaven, but that we would do something with it, that we would, as it says here, live with him. Uh, Life in Christ Christ is twofold. Of course, eternal life. We get to enjoy his presence in the future, but also uh, a present now to glorify him. We can in this life do works that God appointed beforehand for us to do. So to summarize uh, where we've been so far until we uh, get to this last verse and conclude with some more uh, commands of Paul, he says that we have the foundational principle, obtained our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, not something we worked for, it's a free gift, uh, we must be connected to him through that union uh, with Christ, Um, and because of that, we're not destined for wrath. Uh, Having obtained this salvation, we are now, as the wording is, in the Lord, and called to walk as children of light, having donned that breastplate and that helmet. Uh, The logical next step then is, what does that walk entail? So what direction do I head? What do I do when I get to the hills? What do I do when I bump into somebody? Uh, What do I do in this walk? What does it mean to walk well-armed and sober uh, in the light of the Lord? And as Paul always does, doesn't leave us hanging, Uh, he answers those questions for us with a series of commands, starting with there in verse 11, the therefore. So again, the the because, the transition, because of all this stuff I just covered in these previous verses, which I just summarized there, because of that, now, this is what I want you to do. Um, considering that we are children of light, not children of darkness, considering that God uh, in Christ died for us, uh, freeing us from that wrath, now do this. And uh, in the verses that follow, which I'm not going to the end of the chapter there, just this first verse I want to discuss, but if you read all the way through that, I encourage you to read later, he lists about 15 things to do. Uh, It's a lot of work, a lot of spirit-empowered work. Uh, Some of it, I think, relevant to their particular situation, vast majority of it uh, helpful for us too, but 15 things uh, to do in light of what Christ had done for them. And uh, just a few things here in verse 11 is what I want to move into and and finish with. As it says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And then continues on from there. But uh, we'll we'll suffice with this. Um, So depending, though, on the translation, which, which English Bible you have, the two things mentioned here are either comfort or encourage. I think the ESV might have encourage. New King James saying comfort. So it's either comfort, encourage. Um, And then the second one, edify, also translated build up. Um, But as was written in your bulletins there, encourage, encouragement, we already talked about a few times today. It's the first of these two, uh, the comfort and encourage that I really want to focus on. It's interesting, if you look at how the word is used in the New Testament, 109 times, that's (laughs) relatively uh, plentiful. The vast majority of those are by Paul. Of course, he wrote most of the New Testament, but I think it's like 85 of the 109 uses are in his letters. So he 
uh, is an encourager. He's asking people to do a lot of encouragement, uh, a lot of comforting. And so it's, it's no surprise that he uses uh, that word. What's challenging, though, if you follow the path of all those instances of that Greek word, is it's translated in a lot of subtle, different ways. And when I first came upon that, I'm like, well, how, why here is it this and why here is it this? Uh, what, what is the subtlety? Um, but I think, as I outline it for you here in the next few minutes, you're going to see how really the meanings converge. They're not all that different. Uh, but it can be translated, uh, for example, beseech, you know, I beseech you, um, exhort, entreat, comfort, edify, and console. So just reading that list, you're like, well, those are not the same thing. Um, but I think we'll see here how they do dovetail together. Um, one example in 2 Timothy 4, um, Paul writes to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So it's that word exhort. It's the exact same word as in 1 Thessalonians 5 is there as uh, comfort. Also in uh, his letter to Titus, Titus 2, verse 15, speak these things, exhort, again the word, and rebuke with all authority. So in these two contexts, it's the obvious uh, situation of a church leader uh, bringing uh, the word to bear in the lives of those he's entrusted with, using his authority uh, to, here it is, encourage them by directing them in some way. He's to uh, convince, rebuke, exhort with long-suffering and teaching. So it's an instructing aspect. And I think the same thing in uh, the Titus. Speak. So there's a proclaiming uh, aspect to it. Uh, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. So uh, he's telling uh, Titus and Timothy there to encourage by use of the word instruction, which is what exhorting is. Another really good example uh, is in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And this instance shows a brother-to-brother aspect of encouragement, not the church leader to the, the congregant aspect. It says there in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Uh, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So exhorting can happen brother to brother. It's not just that um, church leader to member of the church, uh, but he's saying um, exhort each other in order to stir up this love and good works. Again, to emphasize brother to brother. Uh, there's also, though, numerous uh, situations, contexts that bring in a, a kind of a suckering, a, a comfort is the, the word they use, uh, elements to this encouragement. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, God comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort uh, those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's Paul really emphasizing the comforting four times in one verse. And then in 2 Corinthians 7.6, so just a few chapters later of that same letter, he says, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Um, so it's God, in his encouragement in the face of difficulty, tribulation, as it uh, translates it there, uh, is a great comfort to us. So uh, encouragement in the context of instruction is translated uh, exhort. Encouragement in the context of uh, pain and difficulty and challenge is translated as comfort. But the, by far the most plentiful translation, English Bibles, of Paul's use of this word is uh, beseech or beg or urge, so kind of a pleading 
Uh, please, hear me, do this. Uh, just two examples, 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you. And again, in Romans 16, verse 17, I urge you, brethren. So you can just picture Paul. you ever seen any movies of him just... Please hear this. You know, his, his heart extending out to the people, uh, like in Thessalonica, that he labored with them. He knew them. It wasn't just some group, let me send them a letter and uh, maybe they'll pay attention. But no, he knew these people intimately. He wanted uh, them to hear him and to take it seriously. So he says, I urge you, brethren, hear me, do this, be like me in these ways that I am like Christ. So the meaning is to earnestly plead with and desire a change in action. He's not just saying, please hear me and you know, give me an airing and maybe you'll like what I say. He's no, please hear me and do this. It's always connected uh, to an action. So all that to summarize, those three main uses. Uh, we see that uh, encouragement, it comforts in distress, uh, it instructs in error, and it stirs up to good works. Um, those are kind of tied together. And then the third, uh, it begs for immediate action. So I hope you see how these, uh, the comforting aspect, the exhorting aspect, and the, um, the, the beseeching aspect really do tie together. Not, they're not all that different uh, after all. But seeing those three uh, subtleties, we have to draw the distinction. Encouragement is not what we often think of, you know, oh, pat on the back. Hey, I want to encourage you. Have, have a good day. Uh, that is not the biblical encouragement that uh, Paul speaks of here. Um, it's not a blasé compliment like, oh, let me encourage you. you you're, you're doing a good job. No, that, that doesn't leave you with any helpful information to go and do better or make any improvement. Uh, encouragement, as Paul used it, comforts, exhorts, and urges in the face of difficulties and towards a direction of positive change. Um, yeah, and actually, I'll toss a little story here. The, part of how this uh, topic all came about was interaction with somebody in our congregation in Salt Lake City where I kind of tossed out the word, oh, I want to encourage you. Uh, to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Actually, no, it's just one thing, X. And uh, he came back and said, you know, that didn't really sound like encouragement. That sounded like a critique. <laughs> and I was like, huh, was I just being sort of passive-aggressive? And, yeah, I did want to critique him, but I didn't want to use the word critique, and so I found a nicer word, encourage. I was that just devious of me, and he, he called a spade a spade. And so I had to start digging on this, and I was like, you know, actually, in my heart, I was actually trying to use the word biblically. Uh, probably didn't come across as well as it could have, but I'm, I'm a huge advocate of trying to use biblical words the way the Bible does. So in God's providence, I did use it rightly. Didn't uh, communicate it uh, as well as I could have, but um, the point was made, and we've talked about it since, and it's all good. Um, but moving on from that, in terms of the English usages and, and how it comes into our life, um, and I mentioned this now rather than the beginning on purpose because I wanted to save it for here is the fact that this Greek word I've been talking all about is the same root as uh, the great comforter, the Holy Spirit uh, that Christ sends to be with his people. Paraclete, you've probably heard that, translated comforter or counselor. So we think of, well, what is a comforter? Is it just a person who puts their arm around you? Yes, that can be part of it. Spoke there about how God uh, comforts us. But is it a person, the Holy Spirit, who puts his arm around us and uh, guides us in the time of trouble, steers us around those challenges, points us in the right direction uh, to make a good change? Is it the counselor who just sits there and 
you know, like the psychotherapist uh, sits on the couch and listens to us tell our problems. No, uh, a true counselor is somebody who, who listens and gives feedback <laughs> for true biblical change. So uh, it's interesting to me that that same Greek word, uh, paraclete, uh, is the root for encouragement. Uh, we're to encourage just as the Spirit encourages us. We're to counsel just as the Spirit counsels us. Uh, we are to be beseeched and urged just as the Holy Spirit uh, beseeches and urges us. Uh, which is, really raises the bar on this, if we consider the similarities between the Holy Spirit's work and, and what Paul is uh, charging the Thessalonians and hence us to do. Uh, because if we uh, you know, close our eyes and ears uh, to what that brother is encouraging us to do, uh, assuming taking for granted that he says it in a proper manner. Uh, it doesn't just you know, hit us over the head with it, but that wouldn't be true encouragement anyway. Um, so assuming it's voiced properly and it's true biblical encouragement, if we don't receive it, you know, no, 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 I don't want to hear it, uh, we are shutting off the mouth of the Holy Spirit uh, because the, and we, we think, how does the paraclete work? You know, do we wait for some vision to appear next to us to happen? No, it's Christ in you. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. It's the paraclete working through you so that you do paraclete type of actions. Uh, so really the means to the end is us uh, working spirit-filled lives. So we, if we're ignoring um, what our church leaders are doing and bringing encouragement uh, into our lives, if we are ignoring the encouragement that our neighbors bring into our lives, uh, we are quenching the Spirit, a very serious and drastic thing. <clears throat> a third angle, though, um, in addition to try to be encouragers and being able to receive uh, Spirit-filled encouragement, <clears throat> is that we're all in great need of encouragement. Uh, God has ordained uh, this community uh, not just the leaders, but a community of people. And he knows we need fellowship. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that independent mindset where we want to draw off a line and say, you know, this is me, come no closer. Uh, I can do it. Uh, but when God brings us into his family, uh, those barriers can and, and should be broken down. Uh, so we're in need of this encouragement. Not just that we should, we're duty-bound to, to try and hear, but that we need it. And only when we have a calloused and prideful heart are we thinking, hey, I don't need that. You know, thanks very much, but I, I don't need to hear that. I'm good to go. No, that's, that's prideful. Uh, we need that encouragement. So all that was a sidelight and excursus to explain uh, what the word is there, what comfort, what encouragement really is. Uh, but now I want to turn back to our text and, and put it in uh, the context of that 11th verse. Uh, so therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Uh, so the result of this comforting, the result of this encouragement is to, as the second half of that first clause says, to edify. And I already mentioned another wording for edify is to build up. So the result of this urging, this comforting, this exhorting is to build up. It, it's not to tear down. That is the wrong uh, direction. It might require some sort of deconstruction at the same time there's reconstruction, but the whole purpose is to build up. We want to be built up in the faith, right? We don't want to be the same we were yesterday, last week, last month, last year. We want to be a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? Amen? All right. And so it's a, a building up and edifying uh, that is to be done. Uh, another point here in the end of that same clause is edify one another. Uh, so again, that one another aspect. I know uh, the session here is big on the one another ministry, uh, be it hospitality uh, to uh, encourage or 
uh, you know, going on hunting trips or whatever it might be. There's a lot of different ways to be doing uh, one another ministry. But one final point, a really key clause, that it's almost as if Paul just tossed it in there, and certainly the punctuation by putting a comma before it in English makes it kind of tagged on, where it says, just as you also were doing. But isn't that exciting to know that they were already doing it? Uh, certainly, I think he mentions it because he wants maybe some improvement or some enlargement of it, but they're already doing it. Just as I know you all here, be it church leadership or the one another's in the congregation, you're already encouraging each other. You've got to start. And as I've seen in my life of any project, usually the hardest part is getting going. Once you've got the momentum, you've made some practice, you, you've got the ball rolling, um, and you've got you know, people who can advise you, it's a lot easier to keep going. So uh, with praise and delight, I can look out at you all and say, uh, just as you are doing. You're already doing it. And so as I think Paul was saying, uh, continue and improve and build on that. Uh, press forward. Uh, don't fall back into old patterns and get tired, uh, wary, and well-doing uh, would be the biblical phrase. But keep pressing forward. Uh, the change may not have happened in your own life as quickly as you wanted it to. It may not be happening in your neighbor's life as quickly or drastically as you hoped it would. But keep on. Uh, keep on doing it. And uh, the significant thing is you've started. Uh, the next significant thing is to persevere and, uh, and to know that God is well pleased uh, with what you're doing. Uh, because once you're beyond that hard step, it, not that it becomes downhill forever, of course. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be new encounters. You know, the person you've been working with or uh, the issue of your own that the person's been working with you on might get resolved. But as we all know, once one sin is exposed and dealt with, there's bound to be another uh, further under the next layer of the onion. And uh, we don't just stop thinking, oh, that's good enough. Yeah, I got my five points of sanctification this week. Uh, let's wait till next. I'm not ready yet, um, but to keep pressing forward. So in conclusion, I want to remind us we started out realizing that uh, basically all of us in this room are, uh, we don't want to use the lack, word lack of contentment. We should have contentment even in the face of trials, but we're facing trials, challenges. Life is not easy. Of course, God didn't promise it would be. Uh, it's to be expected this side of eternity. Um, but there's things that aren't ideal. We've got difficulties, difficult relationships, different uh, works, different expectations and hopes not being met. Um, and that's the reality. Turn to the other hand, how do we deal with that reality? We deal with the reality by obeying God's commands. Uh, we're encouraged. Paul encourages us here. Uh, we can encourage each other uh, to press forward in the light of these difficulties, um, to uh, face the obstacles and not shy away from them, uh, but to confront them and move forward. We have people to do it with, right? We're not on our own journey uh, like that young woman in Denmark, is it, who's going to sail around the world by herself? How lonely would that be? <laughs> I can't imagine. I um, mean, I've hiked thousands of miles on wilderness trails, but you know you're going to get to a town in a couple days, and there's going to be people you can talk with at the post office, if nowhere else, you know? We need people. And uh, God has given you a congregation here of people uh, and a session that I know care deeply about your well-being. And so avail yourself of that. Um, and may uh, God be glorified as we uh, have moved, uh, Lord willing, for anybody who hasn't yet, a time to reflect on this, but to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And knowing that you're in the kingdom of light, having put on uh, that breastplate and that helmet that is a gracious gift of a merciful God, to walk, 
walk, one foot in front of each other. Uh, sometimes it's walking uphill, sometimes walking downhill, uh, easier and harder at different times, but to walk as we're commanded to do in the light of the Spirit, uh, shining that light uh, abroad into all of our spheres of influence, that we would be vessels of honor, uh, bringing him glory. Let's pray. God, uh, may we, as uh, was spoken here, be vessels of honor, prepared for glory, uh, not just to be all pleased with our own uh, station in life, but uh, having pity, uh, not a pity of condescension, but a pity of a longing to see our neighbors uh, saved and built up in the faith. And from that longing to see your kingdom built and extended in our lives and those around us, that it truly would happen. You are a good and gracious God who makes promises and follows up on those promises. You've uh, promised to complete the good work you began in us. You've promised to subdue all enemies uh, before the foot of your Son. And may it be so. Uh, May we be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, uh, the one who saved us and shed his blood for us. Lord, that uh, all of our lives, every single moment of it, would be glorifying to you. And Lord, would you make us encouragers just as we are encouraged. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.